Hi, so this is week seven of the Family on Mission course. It's going to be chapter five out of Family on Mission, and I'm preparing this for May 17th. <clears throat> so um, a couple things before I get into the chapter, a couple things that have come to mind uh, as I've been reflecting on the discussions that we've been having on Sundays. Um, one of them is people plus information, particularly information on the information of like make disciples. So people plus information left to make disciples often don't or can't. One of the big ideas we're bringing up here is what Mike and a lot of the people from his kind of camp who believe in a family style or a discipleship heavy style of disciple making it's a little bit confusing, but um, a very, I should say, a very interpersonal or relational style of evangelism. Um, people from this camp really push for this idea that people plus information plus imitation yields a very different result. Um, so people plus information plus imitation. And what I mean by imitation is imitation is <clears throat> well, specifically the way Mike has used it, and also Joe Saxon in that YouTube video I sent up, imitation means proximity to a mature Christian. So you are you are working closely enough with them that you have the opportunity to imitate them and learn from them firsthand. You're not only being being given information; you're giving being given an opportunity for imitation. So that is what that is ultimately a big shift that we're hoping for that we're trying to create with missional communities um so but then just again the kind of the idea being people plus information left to make disciples often can't um another idea that's come to mind for me as i've been reflecting is if the church like we discussed a couple weeks ago that the, mike says the church uh the spiritual family on mission is God's methodology for changing the world. So if that's true, it makes sense to me that God's work would not only greatly change the way we, um, wouldn't, wouldn't only change individuals, but would also greatly change the way we, it's possible, I should say, that God's work in the church would also greatly change how individuals work in relationship to one another. So perhaps the change is not only on the individual level. Perhaps the change is in the group dynamic, how the group interacts with one another. And I think we see a clear picture of that in Acts. How after the ascension and after Pentecost, um, the believers gather together in this really unique spiritual family and they seek God together. So um, those are a couple ideas that um, have come to mind for me from the discussion. Where we left off last week, um, basically Mike shares in chapter 5, um, maybe it's chapter 4, I believe it's in chapter 4, Mike shares how he basically trains missional communities in the up, the in, and the out dimensions through three practices. The up dimension, the relationship between believers and God, he trains his the members of his spiritual family to have healthy relationships with God by ensuring that they have spiritual family, sorry, spiritual parents that they can imitate. 
So the up dimension, Mike, Mike thinks that spiritual parents are the key ingredient to creating the up dimension, a healthy up dimension in believers. The key ingredient to the inward dimension in create that creates healthy spiritual families with a healthy and rich interior dynamics or inward dynamic towards each other, right? Um, interpersonal relationships within the spiritual family um, require predictable patterns. So that is the key ingredient, he says, to a healthy inward dimension, predictable patterns. And then the key to a healthy outward dimension is a missional purpose um, that, that kind of gives the missional community uh, purpose beyond itself. So we covered that last week, and basically this week we're going to go deeper at looking at um, the role of a spiritual parent. So the thing that leads, that Mike says, leads to a healthy up dimension. Um, so before we begin, though, Mike basically reiterates the need for spiritual fam uh, spiritual parents uh, at the start of the chapter. He says, healthy families need parents. Speaking of nuclear families, healthy families need parents. Spiritual families need spiritual fam uh, spiritual parents. Families have a structure that allows them to fill their, fulfill their purpose to raise healthy children. Spiritual families also have structure so that they can fulfill their purpose to make healthy disciples. So Jesus' last words to the disciples, one of his, his last command is to go make disciples that make more disciples of all peoples, of all nations. Um, and that those disciples would then make more disciples. So his command, uh, go make disciples of all nations and teaching them everything I have commanded you. So that includes making disciples. So these disciples are going to be trained to make disciples. Uh, and this creates a movement. This is how the movement was created, the Christian movement, um, that would go out and bless the whole world. So what's interesting about that is um, we're told to go and make disciples by Jesus. And this is the big mission he leaves his disciples. Yet, um, after the end of the book of Acts, Mike points out, the word disciple really disappears from the scriptures. So if this is this big central calling of the church, why does the term disciple kind of vanish? Um, and Mike kind of gets into that. So he says, basically, um, it's spoken of still. Making disciples is still everywhere in the New Testament. It's just slightly different language. So why is that? Why change up the language if that's true? Why did the language disappear, the, the word disciple specifically? So what Mike says, it's spoken of in familial language, which is more appropriate beyond Jerusalem. Instead of using rabbinic disciple rabbi language, disciple making is still the central topic. Its language has just been translated to familial language. So to quote Mike, Corinth, Corinth was similar to the majority of the pagan cities in the ancient world. The people there had no understanding of what the word disciple meant or what it might mean to follow a rabbi because they didn't have rabbis and they didn't have disciples. These people had no idea what a rabbi was or what a disciple looked like. Going on, another quote, the process of investment called discipleship still needed to be taught and modeled so Paul looked for a comparison, a guiding picture that the fledgling, fledgling church could understand that would lead them into the reality of following Jesus. 
he needed a picture that was similar enough to the full-orbed pattern of life that the rabbi-disciple relationship entailed without losing too much or gaining too much in translation. If you are being discipled by a rabbi, you certainly want to know what the rabbi knows, but the actual goal of being a disciple is to become who the rabbi is, not just to know what he knows, but to become like him. So, Mike believes that the New Testament authors trying to find this appropriate replacement for the disciple-rabbi relationship found it in parent language. So, um, yeah, again, people beyond the Jerusalem region didn't know what a disciple-rabbi was, so it didn't make sense to go using that word over and over again. Uh, And they found the appropriate replacement in parental language. And then Mike says the reason for that is the pattern of training that was used in the ancient world was a child would be taught until the age of about 12 by a hired tutor known as a pedagogi. Um, And this is how information was passed to the child. But after that, the child would go to work with their parent of the same gender and work shoulder to shoulder with them, learning everything the parent knew, becoming like the parent, very similar to the disciple-rabbi relationship. The parent would thus disciple their child into becoming competent adults, as the, and then this is a quote, as the children are raised, the pedagogist gives them necessary information that serves as a foundation for all, for all their training in life, but the parent provides the model to imitate. Mike believes that, and I quote, this was the perfect metaphor for Paul and thus for the rest of the New Testament. The New Testament essentially replaces the rabbi-disciple relationship of the Gospels with the parent-child relationship of the epistles. Look at the rest of the New Testament. In almost every book, you see that the way the text understands the process of discipleship and spiritual formation is through the lens of parent and child. Thus, to make disciples and lead a family on mission is to be a spiritual parent. Spiritual parents lead by example. Give access to others to stand at at your shoulder and imitate you as you imitate Christ. The model of what spiritual parenting, the model of what spiritual parenting is all about. Um, So let me read that last sentence. I scooted up a little bit. So the last sentence was thus to make disciples and lead a family on mission is to be a spiritual parent. Spiritual parents lead by example, give access to others to stand at your shoulder and imitate you as you imitate Christ. The model of what spiritual parenting is all about. Um, Mike says spiritual parents have, there's three main criteria for what a spiritual, a healthy spiritual parent would look like. They cultivate spiritual character. We'll get into this more. They submit to God above their own agenda and they sacrifice their personal desires for the good of the family they lead. So Jesus, Mike points out, acts as a spiritual parent to the disciples. He's not their buddy. He's actually acting like their spiritual parents. Here's a quote from Mike. For Jesus, being a leader wasn't just about influencing people. It was about parenting children. It wasn't just a matter of trying to increase his reach. It was a matter of laying down his life for those he had taken responsibility for. Parenting is about love, which includes influence, but encompasses much more. So now I'm just going to briefly give the qualifications that Mike gives for a spiritual parent. um, Just to kind of give an idea of what this relationship what the relationship we're trying to create looks like. So a spiritual parent has spiritual character. 
Um, the, the perfect example, of course, being Jesus. Jesus knew this. This is a quote from Mike. Jesus knew the secret of his power was that the father was in him and he was in the father. This is the relationship he invited the disciples to share, to also share in as they began to invest in others, becoming spiritual parents themselves. So Jesus taught the disciples to share in this relationship with the father um, in cultivating their own spiritual character uh, so that they could eventually be healthy spiritual parents themselves. Mike says that spiritual parents operate from a depth of their from the depth of their spiritual character. They are spiritual people, not just natural leaders. They are people who are always growing in their relationship with Jesus. So another quality of a spiritual parent is submission. Just like Jesus was submitted to the Father, spiritual parents need to be submitted to God. Mike defines submission as being willing. Being sorry, Mike defines submission to God as being willing to set aside your own agenda for the greater good and to set aside your own personal desires and ambitions for the purposes of the blessing and growth of the group that we're called to lead. Which I think that's just amazing. It's a great picture of one of the great dynamics of spiritual families that are following Jesus. Mike says, we can tell God what our concerns and complaints are, but in the end, spiritual parents need to imitate Jesus in his submission to the Father's authority. Uh, and then the last quality Mike talks about is sacrifice. Um, Mike basically goes on to paint a picture of leadership in Jesus' kingdom looks like service. Um, leading and being great in God's kingdom doesn't mean you get to boss people around, Mike says. It means you get to serve and to sacrifice for others. So spiritual parents are called to sacrifice for those they're leading. Mike says they serve people instead of using them. And they empower them as opposed to overpowering them. The leadership style does not control and dominate. Rather, it serves and helps to flourish. Spiritual parents lay down their lives for those they lead. They give blood, sweat, and tears in the midst of a relationship, not just advice and technique from a distance. So, you know, I, I wanted to share that because it, it paints a picture of what missional communities are offering. They're not just a different, a slightly different structure. There's a lot of things to this vehicle. I've used the term vehicle a lot recently. There's a lot of things to the vehicle of the missional community, community that kind of make it move along. And spiritual parents are one of them. And this kind of dynamic that they have towards the missional community or the spiritual family, whichever one you want to call it. So I just thought, you know, I was thinking, wow, imagine what this would mean for our church. It's, it's not a totally different leadership model, but it adds to the leadership model of the church. Because what happens is you have numerous people who would step up to become spiritual parents. And so you have more spiritual depth and you have more, um, you have more people investing within the church. And then at the same time, you also have more people who are being parented, being parented and being invested in. Um, we would have parents all over our community with their constituent families serving along, alongside them. And there would be, and again, there would be more people stepping into this leadership role um, to help the spiritual family grow in up and in and out. And I, I just think that that, obviously, that would be a big change. That would be um, one thing that's unique about the missional community that's different from a home fellowship, I think, is they're committed to each other long-term. So it's not, um, and I guess a lot of fellowship, home fellowships are that way. Um, but basically, the these people would basically be committed uh, to a group. And so uh, the 
spiritual parent would be committed to their their missional community and then the people within the missional community are submitted to that um so maybe not a difference maybe not a clear difference there but um and then another thing another thought i had is the bible tells us that whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task the overseer being uh i believe that would just be an elder a description of an elder um but i think having people having this as a goal within the church that people would be striving would be encouraged to strive to be spiritual parents would give people something to work towards and would offer new responsibility and new challenges and new opportunities to grow and mature in new ways um and i think that that um would offer a lot of growth within any church because um as you have more if you have more leadership or more roles for people to step into those things, those kind of different levels of um, responsibility all bring with them, you know, increased maturity, I think. So, you know, that that responsibility gives people an opportunity to invest in others in a unique way. And it offers these unique relationships that would, um, I think, would just lead to a lot more just growth within any church that tries that. Um, so basically from there, Mike... Um, looks at uh, the common metaphor in the New Testament of uh, shepherd. So Mike points out shepherd is a common New Testament metaphor for leaders in the New Testament spiritual family. Um, Mike starts by looking at Peter when he's reinstated by Jesus after denying him. Uh, he's reinstated by Jesus and Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, using this shepherd language. Um, What's interesting about that is Peter's being called into a leadership role, but the metaphor being used is for the role that in that time and place was probably the role that went to the youngest son in the family. It was the role, shepherd was the, probably the role of least responsibility. And, and um, it was kind of like the lowest rung on the totem pole is what Mike is saying. And I've heard that said over and over again by other teachers as well. So the leadership role in the church kind of is modeled after someone who's in the lowest position uh, in, in society or in the family at that time. So it's interesting. This leadership role is, is unique. It's the Christian leaders are supposed to be very different. Um, so it's not a position of status. And so therefore it's, it's a different kind of, or it's a different style of leadership that spiritual parents are called to. Um, in the examples Mike, Mike gives, elders are told to watch over those in their care. They're told to not pursue dishonest gain. They're told to be eager to serve, to be an example to the flock, to not seek prominence, to not lord their leadership over their flock, to be humble. Mike also adds that they're, to, they're called to lay down their lives. They're told to lay down their lives for their sheep. And they're instructed to have enough spiritual depth. And they're not instructed to specifically, but they need to have enough spiritual depth, Mike says, to carry the weight of being a spiritual parent. Also, um, Mike goes on to share that the Apostle John writes to his dear children. The Apostle Paul casts himself in the role of a father to the Corinthian church. And like any good father in those days, and sorry, this is a direct quote, and like any good father in those days, Paul urges them to imitate him. Paul even refers to himself as a nursing mother to the Thessalonian believers, loving and sharing his life with them. 
Mike points out, it's a very tender picture of what it really feels like to enter into this kind of relationship with others. Being a leader in the early church meant being a spiritual parent to those who were following you, which meant taking responsibility for the welfare of your children. You, you lay down your life for them. You sacrifice for them. These children, and then I thought, you know, these children are in your family. Um, so from there, so Mike's just painting the picture further that this shepherd role is taking language that is very humble language and is, and with that responsibility comes service and laying down your life to the spiritual family. So it's a, a, a unique kind of, of leadership that spiritual parents are entering into. And then the, you know, the last thing he gets into in the chapter, um, Mike asks a really neat question, really exciting question. Where does all of this lead as we have these spiritual parents? Where does, what does this lead? And he asks, do these people stay at your house or in your spiritual family forever? Are they always spiritual children? And what he says is ultimately what ends up happening is these people eventually mature and move on to have their own spiritual families around them. Mike says, in our lives, Joe and Chris Saxton are great examples of this. Joe started hanging around our family in England when she was single. She would join us for meals and help the kids with their homework. She was around a lot. Eventually, she got married to Chris and obviously came around less. We'd have been worried if she didn't. Chris and Joe were building their own household. So Mike says that these relationships as these people mature and eventually go out to have their own spiritual family, these relationships still, they don't disconnect. They still involve regular contact like a family, but it's at a greater distance oftentimes. They have occasional visits still, particularly around festivals and holidays, he shares. In the instance of the Saxtons, Mike says that they try to get together and celebrate once a year. Mike says, just as kids grow up and move out and reproduce, spiritual children ought to grow up and become spiritual parents, starting their own spiritual families. But they are still connected to their spiritual parent. Sorry, the last sentence was me, but they're still connected to the spiritual parent. Um, one thing I noticed that was interesting is that this growth, we often, we often think in terms of individual growth. When we think of Christianity, we think of a person sharing their faith with someone, then when that person comes to faith. And so it's kind of individual. Notice that the growth in this picture is, it's the—it's almost like the reproduction is on a family level. So people go out and they start a new family. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. And it, it kind of harkens back to this idea that Mike had, that growth within Christendom is the extension of the spiritual family. It's We need to think in terms of family growth. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, and, and that's basically it. So um, basically, I think that I hope I've painted a little bit of a picture of one of the drivers, the drivers in the missional community for spiritual growth in the upward direction towards God um, through the spiritual parent.